Hello, this is Forever Blue. I'm Ian Cheeseman, and thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, who are char- chartered mortgage advisors, do a whole lot more. If you have a look at their website, I'll repeat it, it's charleslouis.co.uk. I was astounded by the variation of things that they do. So if you've got a member of your family, or you yourself are thinking of buying a house, um, or you need some advice on mortgages or other financial advice in that direction, Dave is your man. He he runs the company, and uh, or certainly he's my contact, and he's a city fan. So if you contact him, ask for Dave, uh, then you'll get all the information you want. And thanks very much, guys, for sponsoring the the podcast for the season. Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman, and with me today are Harlan or Gary Neville or whatever you want to call him. Uh, we've got Matty from City Matters. Is that actually done deliberately? That City Matters, Matty. That's it. That's why they named it City <laughs> Matters. That's the only reason me. you got yeah. elected, right? He's like, it. like JJ Cotterie, and so good they named him twice. <laughs> and we've got Will, who Norm, Will is the is the Steven Spielberg of uh, Forever Blue. So whenever Steven Wilberg, there we go. Steven <laughs> <laughs> Wilberg, he's getting worse. <laughs> and, and so when you see videos that are on my YouTube channel or bits on Twitter or whatever, almost always, although not today, um, it is Will. Who Who's doing the filming? If there's any filming on today, it will be me, um, as I'm filming what they've got to say about various things. So um, here we are now, not quite on the eve of the Liverpool game, but it is the next league game. Uh, there is a trip to Atalanta coming up in midweek, and as we sit here on Sunday evening, uh, we record by the way uh, every Sunday after a Saturday game, every Monday after a Sunday game. Um, so every every Sunday night about 11ish something like that we go live with the podcast and it's it's worth saying that if you don't subscribe hit subscribe if you've got the chance to like or give us five stars all that sort of stiff stuff retweet and all that's appreciated but those are the next two games yesterday therefore it being Sunday today was the Southampton game which was a slightly different performance and I think a lot of City fans were expecting. So before we go into any more detail than that, I just want your views to begin with on that particular match. So uh, who wants to kick us off this week? I'll kick us off, Ian, uh, as I always jump in first. <laughs> um, listen, it was one of them games that I was I was, I was was expecting to, to win the game quite comfortably after seeing what we'd done on Tuesday night, obviously with them playing a fullish strength side and us obviously playing Doyle and Foden in midfield. I was expecting us to maybe score more than three in the game. Um, didn't expect them to be as um, be as defensive as they were. I knew they'd be defensive, but I didn't think they'd be as negative as they were. They were very anti-football. Five Hampton, across the back, weren't they? Very anti-football. Sometimes seven. It was it was really negative. You know, I think twenty times they they, they give Edison possession of the ball back. So that's how negative they were, and that was over the two halves. You can't blame them though, can you? After no. losing nine 0 at home and then three one in midweek. That's what I mean. I mean, I said that on the vlog, didn't I? You know, I, I can't blame them for doing it. It is anti-football, but they, they're scraping about for points at the bottom of the table, and we're talking about a team here that we're, we're looking at getting. In Europe six years ago under Pochettino and and um, and and, and Kuman, so I can't blame them. But you know, I just think that that we went into the game probably expecting to do a bit more damage than than we did. Um, and I said to Matty on the way here, you know, if if we'd have maybe got behind him a bit earlier on in the game instead of being so expecting of them for the first eleven minutes of the game, maybe we'd have gone two 0 up and the game would have been completely different. I think them getting the opening goal in the game kind of put us on the back foot. And then it was a case of, you know, you'd have to break us down anyway, but now it's going to be extra hard. So the fact that we got a 2-1 win in the end is, is is what's important. But I think that that game yesterday taught us a lot about, you know, what other teams are maybe going to try and do when they come to the Etihad if they get an early goal. 
Do you, I know you're the born optimist, Harlan, so were you, did you always believe that City would find a way ultimately to win that game? Because it got quite nervy towards the end, didn't it? Yeah, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I can't lie. I'm not a very good liar, but... 150%. I think that's a lie, by the way. I think he can lie. 100%, 150%, I believed. I mean, I told Alfie, my little cousin who would come with me. Um, I bet you he's know. not really called Alfie. You know, <laughs> that'll be a lie. That'll be a lie. What's he really called? He's called Alfie. All right, okay. I said, don't, you know, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. You know, we're treated, we're, we're privileged at the moment to watch our team dominate almost every game at home. You know, there might be the odd game where we have to go in 1 0 down and we've got to come out second half and show some character. It happened against Hampton a few years ago, in where we had to come out and win the game. Sterling had to score in the 95th minute, I think it was, to win the game. It kind of, you get to relive what it was like to be a City fan years ago when them happened. And, and, and in some way, it's nice to win a game like that, even though during that game it's very stressful. It feels like delayed gratification to finally get the win, but 150% never doubted us. Um, I was doubting the crossing. I didn't think we'd score the winning goal from a cross um, and a finish at the back post from a right wing back. Um, I would have never said that was going to happen. I thought we'd score another way, but listen, I wouldn't change the goal for anything and the second goal is the second goal, isn't it? So that's Mr Optimist. What about you, Matt? I'm not putting awful. you in any budget, Ollie. <laughs> um, no, I think you're right, Harlan, to be honest. I think sometimes the emotion, you can feel better coming out of the stadium, even though the performance wasn't great because of the nature of winning. Sometimes I think we are a bit privileged in the fact that we, we come out of a game winning 5-6-0 and it's just another standard home win. So I guess even though in the moment you're not really thinking, this is nice, like I'm enjoying us making it really hard for ourselves. But I think you come out of the game thinking, yes, like that was a well hard fought win. It was a bit annoying finding out that Liverpool had scored in the ninety fourth minute as well. But never mind. But yeah, it was a it was a bit of a concerning game because the the odd time you could accept it, Wolves Wolves at home we, we played quite similar and you can't blame Southampton for the way they played. I think if you are gonna get anything from City at the Etihad if you're a team like Southampton, that's the way to do it. So you can't blame them, but it was very anti football as you say. But I don't, I don't really understand the crossing thing. You've got a six foot four defender in Vestergaard who's just, it was like the ball was a magnet to his head. I know we scored from a cross in the end, but it was a low driven cross, which we didn't do all game. It was just the same floated ball that he just got, oh, cheers for this, and head it away. And it almost felt like yesterday there was no plan B. It was just keep doing that. And maybe in the end you think, well, we don't need a plan B because we've, we've won the game. But it's easy to say in hindsight. But in the moment, I'm thinking, stop doing this because it's not working. But in, at the end of the day, we got the results, so it doesn't really matter. It's one of them results that in previous years I would have said, that's a performance of champions winning when you're not playing well. But we can't keep doing that. It happened against Wolves. It can't keep happening. Right, Will, come on. Let's see what you've got to say for yourself. I've got to admit, I've come out of the ground a little bit disappointed yesterday. Um, obviously, the Liverpool result didn't help, but I just feel that we shouldn't have made it so difficult for ourselves. And obviously, it all goes back to the crossing and doing the same thing over and over again. But yeah, I didn't have that normal last-minute winner feeling coming out of the ground yesterday. You mean you weren't as euphoric? No. Or you you well, weren't? Yeah, no, I, I wasn't. I, I, I saw you briefly after the game, and I must admit, you didn't seem as up as I expected you to be. Yeah, I, I almost felt a bit flat, and I think maybe had the Liverpool result gone our way, I might have had a bit of a smile, but yeah, it just didn't feel right yesterday, and I don't know why, and I'm usually on Haaland's level of optimism. So what what went wrong then? I mean, obviously we've seen three performances now, Norwich away, and the longer it seems that we get from that Norwich performance, 
Um, at the time, I, I just sort of put it down to Norwich being fired up and City having an off day. The fact that it happened to City's perspective, again against Wolves to a certain extent, and maybe you can even argue against Southampton, slightly worries me. And the fact that Norwich have been so easily, it seems, swept aside by virtually every team they've played since then also slightly worries me. Now, I know that City have got injuries, uh, and, and clearly key injuries. Uh, Merrick Laporte was, in my opinion anyway, City's best defender last season. Arguably, company was pretty close to that, but he didn't play in as many games. Um, and then you've got Sane, who I think people perhaps under, underestimate the the uh, significance of his absence because that pace and that that spreading of uh, wide because yesterday in that game against Southampton I thought City were very narrow so this is another subject we can explore a little bit uh, again um, Raheem Sterling's playing on the left Bernardo Silva starts on the right the alternative of course is Riyad Mahrez on the right but both whoever it is cuts in naturally and Raheem Sterling cuts in naturally and I thought when Pep sent the signal down yesterday and it was 1-0 to Southampton at that point to tell Raheem and to Bernardo Silva to swap sides I thought finally now there'll be a way through and so it so it ended up now I know it wasn't Raheem Sterling who sent that crossover it was Kyle Walker but still I felt that that extra width made a difference I, 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 Am I talking rubbish here, or, or do you see that as well? Just just before that, my reply to that, Ian, I think yesterday, um, you know, the, the problem, and this isn't an attack on, on City fans as a whole, this is an attack on, I, I, it kind of used to be a minority now, it's a majority in my opinion, of fans that like to scapegoat a player that maybe isn't a, a starting eleven player or isn't a fan's favourite. For example, if yesterday's result had gone wrong, people would have said that Mendy should have started and Angelino shouldn't have done, even though Angelino may not have contributed to a, the, the poor performance that it was. I think sometimes people like to, to kind of avoid criticising players like David Silva, De Bruyne, Stones, because they, they have a, an emotive connection with them players. When really yesterday, for me... The breakdown in communications on the pitch was from Stones, David Silva, De Bruyne at times, giving the ball away a hell of a lot in yesterday's game, um, losing possession in stupid areas. And even though we've said before, me and Matty and Will and you all agree that it was anti-football, Southampton were, were waiting to be able to counter us. And if you give the ball away in stupid areas, you can get hurt by players like Redmond and players like that, and even Danny Ings when he picks up the ball because he's got uh, a bit of pace about him. So I think yesterday, the main problem was that we were giving the ball away in stupid areas. Then we realised that we weren't going to be able to penetrate down the middle. That's why the ball was going out to them flanks and we were having to resort to putting balls in the box, hoping for the best. But also, there was a lot of cutting in. That's the point I was making. Mm. That, 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 that but Both of those players, whoever it was, whether it's Bernardo or Raheem Sterling, instinctively then have to come in. And then everything gets so narrow mm. with Gundogan in that area as well. At one point, we have Jesus and we have Guerrero because, because of the substitution. Everything gets congested. Is that not part? That doesn't that play into the hands of a team who put five men at the back? It probably does, but I think that was part of Hassanutl's plan yesterday, not to allow players like Sterling and not to allow players, even wing backs like Walker and Angelino, to get in behind their full backs. You know, to, to to force them to cross the ball early because they weren't going to let them get to the byline. We all know that Raheem loves to get to the byline and cut the ball back, especially to someone like Sergio Aguero. If you look at the Aguero goal, Walker actually plays that ball in early without trying to get to the byline. If you look at Angelino's ball, 
that is the only time that I believe that we actually got in behind that Southampton defence. And if anything, the ball was about to go out of play. Harry kept it in and whipped it back to Walker. I'll never know. But I don't know if you saw Leicester today, but what their second goal that Vardy scored was absolute classic Pep Guardiola. Uh, classic City. It was fast, intricate passing. It was a one-two, wasn't it? With a, and it ended up with the ball being pulled back from the byline to Vardy, who was probably on about the penalty spot, who was then able to sort of side foot it in, and that was so typical of the way City play at their best. But because they weren't going wide in that game against Southampton, it didn't feel, and it wasn't quite slick either, by the way, that that those chances never came. For for your. Sorry, for your point on um, the players cutting in, and I feel like I'm repeating myself, but Bernardo Silva isn't a winger. And it's starting to frustrate me now because, I mean, Sterling Sterling has got it. He's one of the best players in that position. And maybe he cuts inside too much, but he he can also um, um, do do the job on the wing. But, um, but Bernardo, I feel like Bernardo's instinctive reaction is to bring it into the middle and look to lay off lay off a pass, mm-hmm. something like that. And it just, I think people are cutting it onto it now and it's too easy to defend against. I kind of felt like it was the opposite problem though yesterday. I don't think it was us going out wide that was a problem. It was not going through the middle. We weren't being penetrative. 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 Easy for me to say. (laughs) We weren't penetrating through the middle. We weren't trying that intricate passing. There was no creativity coming from the inside. It was all just get it out to Walker and then get it out to Angelino. And I know sometimes that works for us, but I think yesterday it wasn't working for us because they had five defenders in the box who were ready to just clear everything away. It wasn't working. So it would have been nice to see a couple one-two passes on the edge of the box, try and drag them out of position. And it just didn't happen yesterday. And I know you mentioned Bernardo not being a winger, but I don't think he played well at all yesterday. I'm not sure if it was because he's playing on the wing, but I don't think we've seen half the play we saw last season from Bernardo so far this season. I'm not sure why that is, but... It, is it because of the the racism thing that went on? Is that affecting his game? Is it because it he's seems just not like confident? It, it, I don't know. I, I I I kind of think that um, you know I've always said I've said this for two years now that I I personally think that Bernardo's attributes are more suited to a more central role. I think that he is the heir to David Silva's throne, if you want to call it that. He'll never replace David Silva because you can't replace somebody that good. He'll 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 be a new version of David Silva in that midfield central midfield role. I just think with. Um, you know Bernardo Silva yesterday, um, like like you both said, he he just looked a bit a bit shaky on the ball. Didn't really look like he knew what he should be doing. Should he be cutting out? Should he be cutting inside or should he be trying to support the wide men? He, he looked a bit all over the place. And at the moment, you know David Silva's starting games, and I said this on the podcast um, two weeks ago now when I was last on that I believe that David Silva's starting games not on merit at the moment. I think he's starting games because it's his final season, and I think that there's a there's a romantic connection with that starting role for David Silva at the moment and I was already thinking before Pep made the change at half time and believe it or not Jess said the same to me now Jess isn't a massive 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 in-depth football fan but even she noticed that David Silva was causing a breakdown in the attack yesterday and she actually said I'd take David Silva off because he's very passive because she's heard me say it in the past and he brought Gabby on second half for David Silva I thought he was going to move Bernardo inside um, and change the formation and put Jesus on the left like he did the other day and then he changed it into um, a 4-2-3-1 and played Gabby Jesus off Aguero 
that didn't quite work. And then it looked a bit mishmash in the second half. Foden came on. I couldn't tell whether Foden was playing central attacking midfield or left wing. I couldn't tell whether Bernardo Silva was was you know doing what he should have been doing. It, it kind of looked as if we were just trying to, trying to throw all our eggs into one basket and and just get a winner. Yeah. And it looked like the QPR game all over again, where we had four strikers on the pitch and we were just trying to get a goal. And I mean, that's not how we should be doing things in the final minutes against Hampton at all it's worth saying um, the way I read it anyway I don't know I haven't got confirmation of this today but uh, David Silva well Pep was was getting a message sort of touching the back of the hamstring as if maybe maybe David Silva got an injury and maybe that was the change at half time it didn't feel to me as it was tactical because I don't know if you noticed but uh, Gabriel Jesus started warming yeah. up and was about He's to come on, come on just before the half time whistle went now that didn't, doesn't smack to me of a technical, tactical change you don't do that with two minutes of injury time at the end of the first half you think right half time I'm going to make a tactical change so to me that was definitely an injury on the Minardo Silva there is of course as I'm sure you're aware, a conspiracy theory that the outcome of the FA investigation into the alleged racism against Bernardo Silva is going to happen this week and then a ban will be implemented in time for the Liverpool game. Now, I've also seen Liverpool fans suggesting the opposite of that, which is the FA will delay it until after the Liverpool game. Um, So, obviously, whichever way it goes, somebody will claim that their conspiracy theory was right. But you're right to ask the question as to whether he is being affected by this, because for me, Bernardo Silva was last season's Player of the Year. And this season, he's still playing actually quite well. I'm not saying he's playing badly, although I saw somebody on Twitter tweeting me yesterday saying he's having a nightmare, and I'm not sure I'd agree with that. I'll go that far. But I could certainly accept that he's not playing as well as he did. But I don't think any of I don't think as a team we're not playing near the the performances of the 100-point season or 98. It's, something just doesn't seem right, and I'm not sure what it is. In the draw with Tottenham, we should have won that game. We should mm-hmm. have buried them. Norwich, that was you could call it a one-off, but that was a shambolic it's performance. It's not been a one-off, though, has it? And then, well, yeah, exactly. And Guardiola himself just does it. He seems like he's got a chip on his shoulder at the He was very minute. animated yesterday, I'm wasn't not he? sure what it is. I can't put my finger on what is going wrong because there has been some great foot like the Watford game steamrolled them there has been some good performances but I just don't think we're playing at a level and you could argue that Laporte he's a best centre back him being out injured is not going to help Sani being injured you can put them but we didn't have De Bruyne last season and look how brilliant we were without him and he's probably our best player so mm. Something just doesn't seem right. With you know, I, I love Kevin. I love David Silver. Um, you know, I've I've, I've not criticised David Silver tonight. I've basically said that I believe that he's playing at the moment based on you know a, a favouritism thing maybe, or the fact that it's his final season, a romance or an emotion, uh, an emotional thing. I love De Bruyne. I think he's an outstanding football player, but he's not immortal to criticism. That's David, how I see it. If David Silver's not playing as well, and you think as you think he's getting the nod because of his last season and and the stature that he has are you suggesting therefore because obviously Phil Foden has got a couple of runouts recently and people are saying ultimately he's going to be the replacement for David Silva should it be Phil Foden then that's playing in that position well I'd, I'd have played Mahrez yesterday and I'd have played Bernardo Silva in midfield next to Kevin De Bruyne with Gundogan behind that's what I'd have done uh, obviously, I'm not the gaffer. We said this the other week. <laughs> Paul said he doesn't do team selections because it doesn't matter. Uh, he's not the gaffer, and I understand that. But as fans, 
we see everything and we probably see it from a different perspective than Guardiola, so we're entitled to an opinion on what we want to watch. And personally, yesterday, after about 20 minutes, I was thinking, this isn't working, you know, he needs to change this, it's, it's not good enough. And Bernardo Silva looks where he can do, he can, he can play as a winger, but is he playing at his best as a winger? And I personally don't think he is. And in yesterday's game, like I say, Kevin De Bruyne give the ball away a lot. And I think that Kevin is a lot more wasteful than he was in 17-18 uh, and 18-19. He's giving the ball away a hell of a lot. And if we were to look, it's all right looking at stats and looking at success rates and stuff. But if you actually looked at how many balls he's given away this season in stupid areas that have invited pressure on us, Kevin De Bruyne is a bit of a problem in midfield this season, I think. Um, I'd also like to make the point, um, I was dead disappointed about how Aguero and Jesus didn't light up yesterday. I was so excited to see them finally play together. And I don't know if it was the tactics or Southampton's tactics. or I think it almost goes back to Matty's point where he said we should have gone through the middle. But I think the problem was because they've got five at the back, they've got the two... The two wide defenders marking our wingers. They've got the two central defenders marking our two attackers, and they've just got Vestergaard who can sweep up. Mm. He's, he, his only job was to sweep up. And I think, do you think we should start looking at changing our tactics now? Should we should we move away from the four three three a bit? It is difficult because I think sometimes I see Bernardo on the wing, and I think it works perfectly. Like there's sometimes link up between him and De Bruyne where. De Bruyne will sort of just m make a, a notion that he's going to run down the wing and he'll just mm -hmm. drop back and then he'll, he'll, about, yeah. he'll play the ball in and that can work but when they've got 10 men in the box that isn't going to work Sergio's what 5 foot 6 5 foot 7 or something it's he did have a header to be fair that he put over the bar so I, I guess there are going to be chances when you cross it but more than likely you're going to create more chances by mm. trying something different but obviously Pep's the one who, who knows that it's not going to work it's not going to continue working so he's the one who needs to try and change it I think. And, and on my point again just to, just to get this across because I think it's important to get this across it, it sounds like I'm attacking De Bruyne tonight but I'm really not I'm just trying to look he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's a pinnacle of our central midfield area you know he's, he's, he's the main central attacking midfielder so I believe that he's a linchpin to that midfield and he's He's the player that everyone's been calling out for to, to, to be back fully fit and everything else. So he deserves to be analysed in the, in, in the correct way, from, from my perspective anyway. And I just think that Kevin's that used to playing in a, in a fantastic steamroll inside that, that dominates possession of the ball, goes two or three up against an opponent and then he's allowed to spray passes here, there and everywhere. He's allowed to attempt these cutting-edge passes that he, that, he, that he does attempt. And then it's fine because you're already three or four nil up. When there's a team playing a low block, or shall I say, playing very, 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 very deep, I don't think Kevin, because he's so used to playing a certain way, because we're majority of the time three or four up, we're attacking. I don't think he's got his own plan B. I don't think he knows what to do when a team is playing a low block. He tries to play the same way, ends up giving the ball away, and we struggle. So maybe Kevin and other players in that midfield need to look at their own game and think, how do we adapt? to teams when they do that because really for me the best player at doing that is Gundogan he knows how to unlock deep defences he's certainly been playing well recently uh, Gundogan uh, I mean I, I maybe my expectation levels are too high on Kevin De Bruyne because he's such a wonderfully talented footballer mm. that I was looking at him in that game against Southampton and thinking why is he not stamping his authority on this why is he not driving through midfield and just mm -hmm. pulling the team up almost by the 
you know, by the, the <clears throat> pants, you know, to, to get him to go. And, and he wasn't doing that. Um, and, and I don't know what's different about him. And, and there was a moment in the game, it might have been at, at uh, nil one, it might have been at one all, when I actually did think, and it's funny because Kyle Walker referenced this in his post-match interview, I thought, this is going to need a Vinny moment. It's like the Leicester game. <laughs> it's going to need somebody to hit it, you know, into top corner. And who better than Kevin De Bruyne to be the player who would do that? And yet we haven't really seen that. I mean, we've seen the odd free kick attempt, but we haven't really seen that Kevin De Bruyne special stuff um, which, which sets him apart. And it took Kyle Walker to scramble the ball <laughs> in, you know, which, which thank goodness he did, and well done for his commitment to get there. And obviously he was the man who also supplied the cross for the, the Sergio Aguero goal that got City level. But But maybe it is just me having too high expectation level, but now he's back. Now he's fit. Yeah. I'm not. I, I'm desperate to see the old. What I perceive as the old Kevin De Bruyne. We do, we do have high expectations, but I think they're justified. Like because you've seen how good he is, so it isn't it isn't like you're holding him to this standard that he can't reach. Like you've seen him be at that standard. But I think as fans, you mentioned it earlier, Harlan, about the atmosphere. And I think we are very privileged fans, so sometimes we'll just sit back and expect them play brilliant but sometimes we need to pull our shorts up and be like come on lads and when we did, did get bit. behind the team yeah. yesterday yeah I was just going to say when they did get their atmosphere was brilliant at like just before the goal and then 65 between 1-1 one, one and 2 yeah, yeah 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 just after 65 probably and I, I love that I love when the fans just get behind the team and I wish it didn't take us being yeah. bad <laughs> I was going to say another word there <laughs> I wish it didn't <laughs> Mean, I, I wish we didn't have to play bad for that to happen, but it just proves, I think, what I've said all along, that atmosphere does have an effect. And when you are playing a bit flat, you need to just pull the players up and like, come on, we're behind you, like, and they'll respond. We had a debate last week about uh, Cancelo and, and Kyle Walker and uh, Adam, who was on the podcast last week, tied himself in knots and <laughs> seemed to change his he, mind. He openly admitted that as well on his Twitter, so <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got to respect Adam a lot for, yeah. for putting oh, yeah. himself out there after the pod uh, and actually highlighting it because people could have listened and forgot all about it. And he actually highlighted it and said, I tied myself up in knots. Oh, so what you said, he knows. Oh, I'm not calling him at all. I'll I'm do idiot. that about me trying to say penetrating. <laughs> I still can't say it. <laughs> but we certainly had a debate anyway about the, the pros and cons to both. And I wonder whether Kyle Walker, after his performance yesterday, um, whether, <laughs> well, he wouldn't have been listening to that debate last week, but whether he now is, is sensing that there is a pressure from Cancelo and whether you are three different contributors to last week. You weren't on the last week, were you, Will? I was. I oh, were. Oh, Mike, I forgot you were on there, Will. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to flip-flop. So last week... <laughs> yeah, you were. Yeah, you, did you change your mind last no, week? No, no, I said that I liked Walker. However, I didn't think he had a good game. You didn't? I didn't. I really, really didn't. And I know he got an assist and I know he got her a goal. But other than that, I didn't think he was effective. See, on paper... on pa Sorry, Matt. On paper... People are obsessed with stats, aren't yeah. they? And what they'll do is they'll write a big, long Twitter post with about... what well, they'll fill the character allowance on Twitter with past completion, uh, this is how many sprints he completed, this, that and the other. It looks great on paper. But when you actually use your eyes and actually look back on the performance, stats can 
I'll completely mislead you. I'll tell you something that wasn't brought up. Yesterday I did a vlog and the question I asked the fans, and if you've not watched it, watch it, because even though I'm saying so myself, it's really good. And there's a there's a fan on there, for example, a disabled fan, who I walked up to and said, uh, why have you come in the rain today? Why do you want to be at the game? What makes you want to be here? Um, you know, And by the way, what are you suffering from? And he said, I'm suffering from City. <laughs> First of all, that was his opening line. And then cerebral palsy. And, and lots of the fans said, it, I have to be here. Have to be here, and that was an interesting debate, anyway. But it does sort of blend into what you're saying because the people who are often—I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of the people who use stats as the be-all and end-all of the basis of their argument—are not necessarily people who go and watch a full 90-minute match in the stadium. Uh, and I believe, and I'm sure we all believe because we're all match-going fans, that if you actually watch a game for the full 90 minutes, you have a completely different perception. If you watch a, a little bit of highlights or you read some statistics, it can be very, very misleading. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harlan and I, were you, we were speaking a little bit about John Stones as we were coming to the podcast today, and, talk, and his stats are always very, very impressive. You know, he has massive um, completion of passes, it very rarely gives it away and all this sort of thing um, but when you actually watch him the, the thing that always concerns me a little bit about him is how slow he is in possession and how slow he is to drive the game forward and when you see company and Laporte playing in that position I know company's gone now and even to a point Otamendi they're always very very forward thinking whereas Stones takes that extra bit of time and often plays it sideways or, or and, and to me that is part of the problem as to why... I'm not just saying it's down to one player or stones. I'm trying to make the point that if you don't watch the game in full over the 90 minutes, that type of analysis is not reflected in highlights or in statistics. Now, it might be wrong, and you might disagree with me, and that's fair enough, because everybody's entitled to opinion. But that's the... That's a different way of looking at a game than just looking at stats and highlights. Well, isn't we, it? we we did speak on the way in hundred percent, and I did actually say to you, and we were on the same wavelength with it, and it was it was about stones, and it was about something that I saw yesterday. Obviously, I asked Matt where he was sat. You obviously sit in the press box, so I got I got a perspective behind stones, and I was watching him. I was watching his movement. You know, I'm trying to look at him now as a as a as a, as a different player to what he was before the injury, because it's a new stones, a refreshed stones, a replenished stones, and somebody that I want to do well. I was watching him yesterday and Edison, Edison sometimes, you'll see him, he'll go to play a pass and then he'll change his mind halfway through his run-up and then he'll reshape his body and he'll play the ball out to maybe Walker or somebody else. Probably because he's had a look up because he's that clever and he's seen the the attacking player from the opposition pressing stones and maybe thought, I'm going to put him in trouble if I play it. Yesterday he gave the ball to stones maybe six or seven times um, and stones had an option inside of Gundogan that was pointing down to his feet five or six times saying, give it me, give it me, I'll turn on it from what I can surmise and I'll drive with it. Not drive too far because he's playing holding midfield, but he'll drive and he'll redistribute the ball. Every single time, Stones look to either play it across to Fernandinho or play an even longer pass out wide to Kyle Walker. The first thing in Stones' mind is to keep possession of the ball in a safe area. He's not willing to take a risk an educated risk in playing the ball inside to Gundogan, who is who is in space, to get us up the pitch quicker. And there was an instance where Fernandinho then took it upon himself to get the ball from Edison because he shouted Edison to give him the ball instead of giving it stones. And then Fernandinho left his centre-half position and drove into midfield, redistributed the ball and then dropped back because he knew 
that we weren't doing it enough. It goes back to what Matty was saying about um, us not being penetrative enough. And it all starts from the back. And John Stones, for me, doesn't want to penetrate enough. He wants to keep possession, to maybe try and keep his stats up, I don't know, to maybe get a starting berth every week. But for me, like we say, he always looks for Walker because he's probably his busy mate. And to be honest, it's not doing the team any good, is it? I think that's what we miss about Laporte a bit, though. I think Laporte is a lot more penetrative. I'm sick of trying to say this. <laughs> Why do I keep... I need Forward to find like, a different word. Uh, <laughs> But I think he's really good at playing it through the middle, getting the passing going. I think he's also brilliant at spraying the ball out to the wing, whereas Stones, he's, he doesn't really want to take that risk, it's does he? Enough, is it? he's, he's afraid to play it out, I think. Laporte is brilliant at spraying the ball across the pitch, pitch, whereas Stones isn't, I think. And the other factor that is, is Fernandinho being in centre-back and not in centre-defensive mid. Because I think when Fernandinho's in centre-defensive mid, he's brilliant at receiving the ball and getting the move going. Whereas Gundogan... I, I, I don't think he's as good in that position. I think Gundogan's a bit better further up the pitch, but it, it is definitely a position that we're we're missing with Stones there instead of Laporte. Um, I mean, I I pretty much agree with your points. Um, <laughs> so that's, a, that's, a, that's a really <laughs> endorsement of everything. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I genuinely do. But I think in terms of John Stones. I, I just think the amount of, the, the, there was sometimes where, say for example, he tried a risky pass, it failed, the team counter-attacked, and, and we all said, ah, oh, John Stone should have done that. He should have just played it simple, played it across the defence, and so I think he's 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 taken that on a bit. And I remember, it didn't I think Pep said he went through a patch where he was he was overthinking and he was stressing about people's reactions to what he's doing, and I think it's always on his head that. He, it's he, a confidence thing. Def- I think so. Yeah, he, he doesn't player. want to make a mistake. It's it's not the fact that he doesn't want to drive forward or he doesn't see the need to drive forward. I think he's just too scared of making a mistake. So where we are now is that City have, have obviously got themselves past Southampton one two one. Um, we know what the record is up till here. There have been two defeats, and those two defeats are the six point gap to Liverpool. Liverpool is the next match. I know it's not the next match. It's Atalanta in in the <coughs> Champions League, um, but. They're the next league. Uh, I mean, City could lose at Atalanta and it wouldn't be catastrophic mm. because they're almost through anyway. And probably one more win from the last three games would do it. They've still got Shakhtar at home. I'm not saying they're going to go to Atalanta and, and not try and not try and finish off the group, really. And I hope they do. I mean, obviously, I'm travelling out to Italy, so I want to see a win yeah, and a good yeah, performance. Awesome. But the Liverpool game is the big one. So. There's also, you know, resting players and stuff. I mean, is he is is the manager now going to be so obsessed with the Liverpool game? So there's a whole load here that we need to talk about. The Liverpool game is such a big game. If Liverpool win it, now no one's stating the obvious here, but they will be nine points clear um, of City. Um, City win it, it's three points the gap, and and there's very little in it. Uh, Chelsea at home is the next game after Liverpool. All right, it's three weeks away as we sit here, but it actually is the next fixture. Next league, in fact, the next fixture after Liverpool. So these are two enormous games. Chelsea at the moment are sitting fourth, playing very well, getting lots of results under Frank Lampard, and I and I can't help thinking that. Um, two years ago, if City had faced these two fixtures back to back of such a significance, I, I know how I would feel. I would feel these are crunch games, but somehow City will get the right results and come out of it. The optimism in me still thinks that, and the people who are the tub thumping people who listen 
thanks very much if you do listen to the podcast thinking don't be negative City will win City will do this City will win every game from now till the end of time and we'll win every single title they'll believe that City will beat Liverpool and Chelsea however the realistic bit of me at the moment thinks these are the wrong games at the wrong time <laughs> and, that, yeah. and, uh, and I'm, I'm feeling a little bit less optimistic I'm, I'm trying to say it the nice <laughs> way and, and, I, and I want to be as optimistic as anybody now am I in a minority of one here how do you feel going to these games and, and what are you looking for now from these, these games I think this is always City's time to shine though and you said it yourself before two years ago we would think we would win the games um, but in 2012 how, how many times did it go up and down and you know we, we, we thought we were out of form and then all of a sudden we'd turn it on and, and come through again. And I think that is the hallmark of our side, that we can never, ever, no matter how bad of momentum we are going into a game, we can never write the team off. And But to use Harlan's example of David Silva, are you not looking at this through blue-tinted... I'm playing devil's advocate, obviously, to whatever argument you make. Um, are you not looking at this through blue-tinted spectacles that you're thinking of the City team of last season or the season before, not the City team as it is right now? All right, fair enough. But then Liverpool aren't exactly on top form. No, they're they're, they've won every game, yes, but you know they're scraping through. They're getting some lucky decisions. They're not exactly. They're not good. I don't. I can't see them steamrolling us. I can. <laughs> see, I can't because. You know, go on, let Matty out. Just yeah, because uh, on, that, that was the voice of doom. Then we've got to hear the voice of doom. Uh, no, no, no. It's a bit tongue in cheek. I can't. I, I can see them steamrolling. As whether I believe that's going to happen or not is a different matter. But I, I, I am worried going into that game. I think there it has all the elements. Pep coming out commenting on Mane's diving yesterday. Yeah, it just yeah, screams Mane goal in front of the cop against us. And he'll probably go and do what Suarez did and dive in front of. Guardiola I just I can't be optimistic after the the last few performances I don't know we haven't won at Anfield since what 2003 or something and we always just seem to crumble there I know last season we were a Mares penalty away from winning there so I guess there is a bit of optimism there but I, I just I, I am worried about that game I think you can mention that Liverpool haven't played that well this season, which is fair enough, but they're still winning the games and that's exactly what you do when you're winning a title. You win the games you're not playing well in and they've got lots of places to hurt us, especially with their full-backs. We don't know who's going to be fit. We don't know who's playing where. Rodri's out, so will that mean Fernandinho comes into defensive mid? If he doesn't, I'd be worried. If Gundogan's in centre-defensive mid against Liverpool, I'd be worried that they will run through our midfield. But... The optimistic side of it is that in these crunch games, City do, can turn up. We have world-class players. We are a better team than Liverpool, but I'm, I'm not confident. But there is always a chance. I, I'm going to try and... You seem to be edging your bets a bit, though. I'm trying to remain optimistic because... We are, splinters, you know, no, <laughs> I wonder what that was. Um, but we, anyway... Um, we are a better team than Liverpool, I think. We have be we have a better first eleven than Liverpool, but Liverpool away is always a, a really tough game. So and that's, just to challenge that's that comment that you've just said, we have a better team than Liverpool, is that the fully, fully fit? fit. And yeah. They're not fully fit at the moment. The team that started against Southampton, I don't think is as good as Liverpool starting eleven at the minute. I'm optimistic. Optimism, yeah. I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Do you agree with that or not? 
Well, yeah. Do you think that's I'd, right or uh, wrong? I can't argue with what you're saying about the team right, as it is now, with the injuries and, and everything like that. It's not the same team it was last right, year. Right, I'll, I'll do this in what... 20 seconds I think that I think that I think that Cancelo is a better fullback than Alexander Arnold right I 100% think that especially in terms of the way we play football Um, I think that Van Dijk is better than Stones Otamendi 10 seconds or (laughs) whoever else is in there Um, Edison's better than Alisson for me you've got Aguero who just dismisses Firmino there's no two ways about it You've also got Sterling, who walks all over Mohamed Salah. You've got on the left-hand side, um, Mahrez, if you want to call it that. If you play Mahrez on the left or you play Mahrez on the right, Mane's probably better. Yeah. yeah. And then you look at the midfield, Henderson, nowhere near Gundogan. You look at Fabinho, in my opinion, if he plays in front of Henderson, nowhere near Kevin De Bruyne. And then you also look at you know Fernandinho at centre-half, He's better than Gomez. So for me, I personally think that it's not much better than our side, but there are better players in their team at the moment than some of ours. The argument I'd make to that is when you look at the the starting eleven of the Premier League XI, hardly any City players ever get in it, do they? Player of the year, hardly any of City players. So therefore, you'd say they're not the best player in the world in their position. But as a team, they work perfectly. And that's what I think about Liverpool. Fernandinho's better than Fabinho. De Bruyne's better than Wijnaldum. And David Silva, Bernardo Silva are better than... The, um, who's the other one? Cater, I suppose he would probably start Henderson, maybe. Yeah. Or Henderson. Yeah. So, so yeah. on paper, they are better. But I think the way mm. Liverpool's style of place, they are so perfectly suited to mm. it. So even though they're better players... I think they they play perfectly to the way Klopp wants them to play. I mean that's not that's not my way of looking at it. I would never look at that and go right on paper we'll beat them yeah. because there's they, more to yeah, it than that. So I'm just looking at that as like when you were saying then about the players it being a better team on paper. I don't think it is even now maybe the odd few players but in terms of like you could look at Sheffield United for example. They've not got better players than us, but at the moment, you'd argue that they're playing a lot more efficiently better than us at the moment because it just works. John Fleck's not better than De Bruyne, (laughs) but it's working in that Sheffield United side. De Bruyne might not work in that Sheffield United side, even though he's a miles better player than Fleck. But in my opinion, like Ian said, you can be optimistic, but you can be realistic. And I personally think we'll beat Liverpool because I'd never see these games as being a league game. They were a completely separate entity. They're not even part of the league, in my opinion. They just... A complete, they're like a cup final, like it is against United. Maybe not so much anymore. That feels like a, a league cup final with a weakened team to us. <laughs> but um, it just feels like it's going to be completely separate. And even though you'd probably say the side's a lot weaker than it should be or could be going into the Liverpool game, I think there's something within our players that that comes from within a determination. And none of that, none of them players in our team are going to want to lose this game. Liverpool's strength, uh, I think most people would accept, is their front three. And it looks as if the front three are going to be fit. We've talked when City played at Liverpool last year and the year before about who City would play in that defence to counter Salah, Mane and Firmino. Now, last year, it was a choice between arguably Mendy and Zinchenko at left-back. It was Fabian Delph the year before. So this season, it's Angelino or Mendy, assuming he's fit. On the right-hand side, we had the debate about Cancelo or Kyle Walker. Obviously, I know Pep could play a different system with three at the back or something. But on the basis that he plays four, then you would think 
that it, at the moment it looks like it's going to be Stones and, Fena- and uh, Fernandinho. So therefore, Fernandinho is the man covering over and protecting um, Angelino, and Stones is going over and protecting Kyle Walker or Cancelo at right back. So I, I want to know, you know, looking at the, the three, the, the, they won the European Cup, you know, they, they are, um, you know, they've lost one game in the whole of last season and so far this season. And that one game, of course, was against City. But they, we've got to respect that they are absolutely a superb team for, for all the tribalism and the, the banter and everything and all the fact that... City fans probably hate Liverpool more than they hate United these days. You know, United were, what, sixth or seventh on match of the day and, you know, they lost to Bournemouth and it wasn't even a story. So they've sort of gone off our radar. But if you take away all the tribalism, Liverpool are a phenomenal side. Is that back four going to keep them three quiet? No, not a chance. They won't keep them quiet, but the the, the positive way Stop to look at it... Stop scoring then. I don't think... Maybe we can because we got a clean sheet there last year, but I think the positive way to look at it is it, there will be chances for us because Liverpool play into the way that we we need space to create chances when we have a, when we play against teams like Southampton who sit so defensively it, it becomes difficult but I think teams like Liverpool it's a little bit not easier but you are going to get more space to create chances whether we can stop them creating chances I don't think so Liverpool at Anfield they'll always create chances whether or not they score them and depends they might have an off day you never know but I would I can't believe I'm saying this but I would probably play Otamendi and put Fernandinho in defensive mid, even though Otamendi had an absolute shocker against Wolves, and I'm not sure on him defensively. I think we need Fernandinho in that defensive midfield because if With Gundogan doing or on his own, I I don't I think he will play Gundogan, but I, I Gundogan and De Bruyne in front of Fernandinho. I'd rather it be De Bruyne and Bernardo in front of Fernandinho. That that gives us legs because that's what Liverpool's midfield is: is legs. They I, want to overrun you. I, I understand where you're coming from, Matt. I just think that we're going to need composure in that midfield because, like I was going to say then, if you want to beat Liverpool now, um, we need to keep hold of the ball. Yeah. We need to not force the attacks. We need to make sure that we're composed on the ball, not give the ball away in stupid areas. Everything I said before about De Bruyne and, and that, we've got to avoid doing that against these because if you're giving the ball away in a, if you're giving the ball away in a stupid area... They are the most frightening side to hurt you in them in the in the positions that they're going to get themselves in. So I think we've got to look at balance in the midfield. Even though I'd love Bernardo and De Bruyne to start next to each other in front of Fernandinho, I still think that Gundogan would offer us a bit more control in the midfield in front of Fernandinho, and then De Bruyne would give us that attacking threat with that cutting edge passing that we're probably going to be able to use more than we could against Hampton because, like you said, there's going to be gaps, there's going to be space in behind because they are going to play a bit of a high line, I think. But I think, with regards to what Ian said about their forward line, they they didn't create too much effective stuff against Tottenham. They were basically using them flanks a lot to whip balls in, to hope for a lucky bounce so it would drop to someone like Salah or Firmino or Mane. And they, they were looking against Spurs to try and snap up half chances, get a penalty, something like that. If we press them out wide and don't allow them to whip the ball in, I think that we limit them very much so to having to play more central and then why I'm I'm saying play 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 Gundogan and Fernandinho if we limit them to playing central and then we can dominate that midfield battle we suffocate Liverpool we win the ball back and we go ourselves but you can't let them cross the ball because they will try and whip about 35 to 40 crosses in to the box even if they don't win the header they'll look for it to drop and that's where they'll get the tappings 
I think following on from Haaland, I think the the two players I'm most worried about are the fullbacks. Yeah, and I think the crucial thing for we've got to assume that Liverpool are going to be um, dominating possession at home, and the crucial thing for me is that the midfielders are able to drop back and cover the cover the fullback positions for us. Because if if like you're saying, so if if Stones is going to go over to help uh, the left back with their right winger, but then you've got the right back bombing up as well. It's almost coming to like a, a two-on-two situation and it's not good. So I think the midfielders need to be on the game defensively as well as attackingly. He didn't actually criticise Pep directly, but Vinny in the book did sort of highlight the fact that at Anfield last season and at Tottenham in the Champions League away game, um, City uh, didn't go there with the normal positivity that they sometimes do. I don't know whether that is a suggestion that City should be more positive for this one, but what do you guys think? You know, should City be playing on the front foot? He's definitely worried about that. You saw it in the Amazon documentary. Yeah, I was going to say every game that we lost last season, it felt like because we didn't attack enough. The the Spurs Champions League away, it was far too defensive. The um, the Liverpool away for the penalty was far too defensive, and yeah. Theoretically, yes, we should try and be as... Pep would argue that, obviously, at Tottenham, Aguero missed the penalty, and if he hadn't missed the penalty, in theory, City might have won that game. If Riyad Mahrez hadn't missed the penalty at Anfield, City would have won at Anfield. So he, it sounds to me as in his mind, he's justifying the fact that 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 tactic worked and only failed because of missed penalties. But then you're relying on getting a penalty and scoring a penalty, and you, you can't rely on that every game. I think you've got to take the initiative. I think if you look at the way Tottenham played at Anfield, first 10, 15 minutes, I thought they were brilliant. They got the goal, but they they covered the wide areas. And then because it's such a mammoth task, I think Ericsson just, he couldn't deal with it. Like after 10, 15 minutes, he was probably breathing out his nose and he was just like, I can't handle this. And and, uh, that that became a struggle for them. We need players who've got legs and we have players who've got legs. Bernardo and uh, and De Bruyne are... I had covered like the most miles in the Prem last season, I think, or at least they were up there. So they have got the legs to do it, but they have to look at what we can do offensively as well. It can't just be about stopping Liverpool. If Alexander-Arnold and Robertson are going to push up the pitch, that should leave space in behind. So we've got to look at the ways we can hurt them offensively rather than just worrying about them going forward. I think if we play Jesus on the I'd love to see Jesus start... Um, Aguero's a bit quiet but I'd probably still play him play. so I'd go Sterling right Aguero middle Jesus left because then Jesus can sort of come back and yeah. help w- with Arnold it, it happened against Sampson didn't it in the cup and you, you saw Gabby he kind of played as like an inside left forward he didn't actually play as like a winger he does that for Brazil doesn't yeah. he yeah and he supports Firmino a hell of a lot he's like a central he's like he's like a left forward basically playing off a striker and the the right winger stays out wide. He's got pace as well. And then what will happen is when that w- when the ball switches sides, the right winger will become the right forward, and Jesus will then be that wide man. But nine times out of ten, he'll come in and try and support the attacker. And I think if Aguero has another option, because usually when Aguero picks up the ball, he knows he's got to manoeuvre himself to try and create a chance. If he knows he's got Gabby running in behind or he's yeah. got a bit of support, it might give him a bit more confidence to maybe play a one-two or something like that. And he has that support, whereas if Pep's playing two wingers, they're very, very disciplined. I remember seeing Thierry Henry do a bit of analysis on Sky and he he said years ago playing at Barcelona under Pep that you weren't allowed to move out of your position. You had to trust your teammates to find you. Don't come drifting in. I mean, Henry scored, put Barca 1-0 up and he took him off. 
because he said, well, you didn't follow my instructions. You scored the goal because you drifted inside and affected the striker's movement. But I think with Gabi Jesus, he knows he's a centre-forward, knows he's a striker, and he'll allow him to do that to offer Aguero support. I don't normally do this, and I'm I'm declaring my hand here at this point. I'm not going to make a prediction, <sighs> but I want to ask you three. Well, that's not fair. Well, yeah, it might not be cop fair, out, but it's yeah, my podcast. It's a, it's a, a cop-out. It's like me having the ball now. <laughs> it's my own. ball. I'm taking it all. <laughs> unless clop, you clop play. out if they lose. <laughs> What's the score going to be then at Anfield? Going off last season, obviously I know it's you can't look at that, but it was a tight game and I think Pep might approach the game in a similar way to what Will was talking about then, defensively. Not not defensively, but we'll, 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 we'll attack, but I think we'll be pretty cautious. We don't want to get, like you said, swallowed up. Um, it's either going to be an absolute goal fest where somebody nicks it 3-2 or it's going to be... No, no, and someone will nick it one nil. No. I'll snap your hand off. Hang for on, a no, hang no. on, mate. You can't just let Ireland say that because that's very, very non-committal. All right, I'm going to go for a City win then one nil. Right, okay. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? So go on, Will. I'll snap your hand off for a nil nil right here, right now. I'll take that. So is that what you're going for? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go two two draw. I'm going to try and be po- positive. We're going to get a draw. Hmm. There you go. I'm not going to do a score. I feel like you should. Well, I'll, the only thing I'll say is, I, I and you know, I hope myself tell you what, Ian, to criticism now because I'm going to be negative. Why, why don't I we don't do? Feeling City are going to lose. Why? Why don't we do our team? Obviously, Ian always loves to ask us who's going to play against Liverpool at Anfield. So why don't we do our team selection together now? And then when we've got a team selection, we can look at how that team's going to get on against Liverpool. I'll go with Edison in goal then. Who nah. are you going to go right back? Scott Carson. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just pull Richard right at the backroom staff and play him instead. Um, I'm going to go Cancelo at right wing back. Yeah, right wing back? That. Does that mean you right back or right wing back? I play him as a right wing back. So you go so three at the middle. So I'm saying that obviously he'll, 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 he'll get in behind. But Stand- oh, sorry. Standard so four, just three, right three. Yeah. Uh, going for a four, three, three. I'd go right. Stones and Ottomendi. I'd I'd go Stones and Otamendi with Fernandinho in front, yeah. Might you? You agree with that? I agree with that. I'd start Bendy. Uh, Bendy. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Bendy. Uh, yeah, I'd start Mendy left back. Um, it's can't be. I didn't. Why would you start Mendy I'm at left back? I disagree with that. Angelino against one of those three. He'll get sat down, Angelino, only against Liverpool. You don't think he will? No, I think Mendy. I, I think I think Mendy's going to give us that physicality that we're going to need against Alexander Arnold. If I'm if I'm looking for one of those two to be in a 50-50 shoulder tussle, I'd rather it be Mendy than Angelino. I'd, to be honest, I don't trust either of them. But I just I can imagine Mendy being sent for an ice cream by Sally. Like, I just can't see him defensively dealing with him. Whereas Angelino, I'm a, a little bit more confident. So we've got Mendy, Mendy. Are you going? Mendy? I'm going Mendy, Angelino, and I'm going Mendy. Right, so we've got Mendy at left back. Yeah. Fernandinho in front. Yeah. Well, I'd go. I'd actually go for three at the back. You know, when you started off with your wing back, that's what I thought it was. Yeah, saying. I, I, I would actually play uh, Otamendi and Stones and Fernandinho in the middle of the three of them, so that they're effectively three centre backs. But Fernandinho can come out of that central. I, that's what I think we should do. So, uh, like a three-five-two. Yeah, I'd love us to play that. But what I was thinking is when Will was saying that the, that the central players would cover if if Cancelo and Mendy bombed on. That's what I was going for. So, so I'm going right Walker back and left right back, back. back, bombing on. So you're going Walker right back. Did we all say Cancelo? Cancelo. Right. So we've got Cancelo. Yeah, we've got we've got we've got Edison, Cancelo, Stones, Otamendi, and Mendy. Yeah. With Fernandinho in front. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd go De Bruyne and Gundogan. Yeah. I'd go Bernardo, but I feel like I'm going to get outvoted here. 
I'd, I'd pick Bernardo on the right-hand side anyway. I mean, I know we don't want to see him as a winger, but I think De Bruyne and um, Gundogan as the two central midfielders, I'd go along with that. And I'd go Mahrez on the right, Sterling on the left and Aguero up front. I'd go Sterling on the right, Bernardo Silva on the left and Aguero up front. Mm. Come, we're not going to get any closer. Mahrez I would on go, the right, Sterling on the left, Sterling, Aguero, Aguero up Jesus. And so, you go. That, I'd, yeah, I'd be convinced. I could be convinced by that. that. I think but he's going to play. Sterling's got to be on the right for me. Yeah, but he, he never turns up at Anfield, does he? No, he's never turned up against Liverpool. Is this, the, is this the is this the year? Then? Is this the t- that is, is this his year? Is this his year? Right, so so two of you have gone for a draw at Anfield, uh, one of you have gone for a win, and I've gone for a Liverpool win, right? Right, well, based on the team without the forward line, I'd go for us to to win one or two nil then. So so you're going, yeah, you were going for, yeah, a, win go for anyway, a win anyway. Yeah. So go for a, a win and two draws, and um, uh, as I am to say it, a defeat. Hope I'm wrong. Then that now no, we're taking it on a little bit here. Then there's an international break, and um, we then come back with a home game against Chelsea. That game feels as important to me as the Liverpool game does because especially if City were to lose at Anfield suddenly you're fourth in the league potentially going into that game against Chelsea I think if we lose that that I'm not going to go as far as saying the title's gone but I think if we lose at Anfield then we are putting ourselves in an extremely difficult position I think I think we'll be okay <coughs> against Chelsea I, I think we've got more quality than them I think they have won the last, I think, seven seven or eight games in a row. So they've definitely improved under Lampard, but I don't think they've played anyone probably as good, well, anywhere near as good as City. So I think we'll be okay in that game. But I, I think it depends on how we do at Liverpool. If we lose at Liverpool, will it affect their confidence? And then it all comes falling down, or do we bounce back? So I think it's hard to predict that game before the Liverpool game. But I, I am confident going Well, arguably, that even predicting the Liverpool game before the Atalanta yeah. game. That, I mean, could, City, that could be a tricky tie, that. They go there and win comfortably and, and play really free-flowing football. Then you go to Anfield full of confidence. Mm. You go to Atalanta and you suddenly not expected it, but you've lost a game or it's not, not played well again. Then that's a, it takes you in a different place I've, going to Anfield, I've got a little theory it? here. Like, we watched us play against Atalanta at home and Atalanta came at us a bit, didn't they? And, they, you know, Ilicic on the right... Tricky winger. They had a tricky winger on the left-hand side. You know, they brought a quick striker on at half-time, or second half. They played a bit like Liverpool might play against us. Very attacking, on the front foot, had a dig at our full-backs. Your optimistic juices are flowing what, now. What I'm, thinking is, what I'm thinking is, why don't we almost try and start the side that we play against Liverpool and then make changes second half to freshen it up and just treat it as if it's like a warm-up game for the Liverpool game. And just just try something and just see whether against an attacking side, the team that we play against Liverpool could hack it, and then we're going in a bit more confident. I don't know; I, it's just something I thought. I of. get your point, but you don't want to be putting your players through that sort of test midweek when you've got to go to Anfield at the weekend. I'm sorry for the people who are going, but I think we should write it off. Play a <laughs> play a youth team. <laughs> well, um, maybe Scott Carson gets a run. Yeah, out. Scott Carson's to start. Uh, well, Phil Foden won't be involved in that game because he was sent off towards the, he- the end of the home Champions League game, so we won't see him. Maybe we'll see Garcia, maybe we'll see Bernabe, maybe we'll see you know other other young players that are coming through at the moment, some of which have been very impressive, I have to say. Next time we do a podcast will be on the Monday night after the Liverpool game, um, so things will look as they look then. So... Um, 
enjoy the next week. Uh, thanks very much, you two, particularly for. Uh, I know you had a few transport difficulties for getting here, so thank you for, for going to that. That's Matty and Harlan, and to Will, Mr. Mr. Reliable, who's always uh, who's always here, basically. I like Northern Rail. Rail. <laughs> I like Northern Rail. <laughs> Thanks very much <laughs> to the ever reliable CharlesLouis.co.uk. I have to say that as well because uh, they are very reliable, and they will sort out your mortgage for you or your family. And they have sponsored this podcast for the season, for which I am eternally grateful. So thanks very much for listening. Don't forget to give us five stars and subscribe and all that business. And uh, let's fingers crossed that I don't know what I'm talking about. Tolls, anything else that you've City got. City, come back from Anfield <laughs> with the win and that Harlan can say, see, I told you so. In fact, in fact do me a favour, Harlan. Uh, promise me that on Sunday night that you will send me a, t- a text and say... I told you we were going to win at Anfield. See, I know what I'm talking about. Promise. Right, good. And I hope, I really, really hope you're sending me that text. He obviously comes ding, ding, on his iPhone. <laughs> Other phones are available. Right, thank, <laughs> thank you very much, guys. We'll see you again next week. Bye.